Chapter sixty three of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lafano. Chapter sixty three. In which a liberty is taken with Mr. Nutter's name and Mr. Dangerfield stands at the altar poor mrs nutter continued in a state of distracted and flighty tribulation not knowing what to make of it nor indeed knowing the worst for the neighbours did not tell her half they might nor drop a hint of the dreadful suspicion that dogged her absent helpmate she was sometimes up rummaging among the drawers and fidgeting about the house without any clear purpose but oftener lying on her bed with her clothes on crying when she got hold of a friend she disburdened her soul and called on him or her for endless consolations and assurances which for the most part she herself prescribed there were of course fits of despair as well as starts of hope and bright ideas accounting for everything and then clouds of blackness and tornadoes of lamentation father roach a good-natured apostle whose digestion suffered when any one he liked was in trouble paid her a visit and being somehow confounded with dr toole was shown up to her bedroom where the poor little woman lay crying under the coverlet on discovering where he was the good father was disposed to flinch and get downstairs in tenderness to his character and thinking what a story them villains o the world id make of it down at the club there but on second thoughts poor little sally being neither young nor comely he ventured and sat down by the bed veiled behind a strip of curtain and poured his mellifluous consolations into her open ears and poor sally became eloquent in return and father roach dried his eyes although she could not see him behind the curtain and called her my daughter and dear lady and tendered such comforts as his housekeeping afforded had she bacon in the house or maybe she'd like a fat fowl she could not eat why then she could make elegant broth of it and drink it and he'd keep another fattenin until nutter himself came back and then my honey you and himself'll come down and dine with old father austin and we'll have a grand evening of it entirely laughin over the remembrance of these blackguard troubles a kushla or maybe you'd accept if a couple of bottles of claret or canaries i see you don't want for wine so there was just one more offer the honest fellow had to make and he opened with assurances twas only between himself and her and not a soul on earth did ever hear a word about it and he asked her pardon but he thought she might chance to want a guinea or two just till nutter came back and he brought a couple in his waistcoat pocket poor father roach was hard up just then indeed the being hard up was a chronic affection with him 
two horses were not to be kept for nothing nor for the same moderate figure was it possible to maintain an asylum for unfortunates and outlaws pleasant fellows enough but endowed with great appetites and an unquenchable taste for consolation in fluid forms a clerical provision in father roach's day and church was not by any means what we have seen it since at all events he was not even troubled with the possession of money and when half a dozen good weddings brought him in fifty or a hundred pounds the holy man was constrained forthwith to make distribution of his assets among a score of sour and sometimes dangerous tradespeople i mention this in no disparagement of father roach quite the contrary in making the tender of his two guineas which however sally declined the worthy cleric was offering the widow's mite not like some lucky dogs who might throw away a thousand or two and be nothing the worse and you may be sure the poor fellow was very glad to find she did not want it rather hard measure it strikes me said dangerfield in the club to put him in the hue and cry but there he was sure enough charles nutter esquire formerly of the mills near knockmaroon in the county of dublin and a full description of the dress he wore as well as of his height complexion features and all this his poor little wife still inhabiting the mills and quite unconscious that any man woman or child who could prosecute him to conviction for a murderous assault on dr stirk should have fifty pound reward news in to-day by jove said toole bustling solemnly into the club by the packet that arrived at one o'clock a man taken answering nutter's description exactly just going aboard of a jamaica brig at gravesend and giving no account of himself he's to be sent over to dublin for identification and when that was thoroughly discussed two or three times over they fell to talking of other subjects and among the rest of devereux and continued what his plans were and there were no brother officers by whether he meant to keep his commission and various speculations as to the exact cause of the coldness shown him by general chatsworth dick spate thought it might be that he had not asked miss gertrude in marriage but this was pooh-poohed besides they knew at belmont said toole who was an authority upon the domestic politics of that family and rather proud of being so just as well as i did that gypsy dick was in love with miss lilius and i lay you fifty he'd marry her tomorrow if she'd have him toole was always a little bit more intimate with people behind their backs so he called devereux gypsy dick she's ailing i hear said old slow she is indeed sir answered the doctor with a grave shake of the head nothing of moment i hope he asked why you see it may be she had a bad cough last winter and this year she took it earlier and it has fallen very much on her lungs and you see we can't say sir what turn it may take and i'm very sorry she should be so sick and ailing 
she's the prettiest creature and the best little soul and i don't know on my conscience what the poor old parson would do if anything happened to her you know but i trust sir with care you know twill turn out well the season for trout fishing was long past and gone and there were no more pleasant rambles for dangerfield and irons along the flowery banks of the devious liffey their rods and nets hung up awaiting the return of genial spring and the churlish stream abandoned to its wintry mood darkled and roared savagely under the windows of the brass castle one dismal morning as dangerfield's energetic step carried him briskly through the town the iron gate of the churchyard and the door of the church itself standing open he turned in glancing upward as he passed at stirk's bedroom windows as all the neighbors did to see whether general death's white banners were floating there and his tedious siege ended as end it must and the garrison borne silently away in his custody to the prison-house up the aisle marched dangerfield not abating his pace but with a swift and bracing clatter like a man taking a frosty constitutional walk irons was mopping softly about in the neighborhood of the reading-desk and about to mark the places of psalms and chapters in the great church bible and prayer-book and sidelong he beheld his crony of the angle marching with a grim confidence and swiftness up the aisle i say where's martin said dangerfield cheerfully he's gone away sir hey then you've no one with you no sir dangerfield walked straight on up the step of the communion table and shoving open the little balustraded door he made a gay stride or two across the holy precinct and with a quick right about face came to a halt the white scoffing face for exercise never flushed it and the cold broad sheen of the spectacles looked odd in the clerk's eyes facing the church door from beside the table of the sacrament displayed as it were in the very frame foreground background and all in which he was wont to behold the thoughtful simple holy face of the rector alone among the dead not afraid croaked the white face pleasantly the clerk seemed almost to writhe and sweat silently under the banter of his comrade of the landing net and he answered without lifting his head in a constrained and dogged sort of way like a man who expects something unpleasant alone yes sir there's none here but ourselves and his face flushed and the veins on his forehead stood out as will happen with a man who tugs at a weight that is too much for him i saw you steal a glance at charles when he came into the church here and it strikes me i was at the moment thinking of the same thing as you to wit will he require any special service at our hands well he does and you or i must do it he'll give a thousand pounds mind ye and that's something in the way of fellows like you and me 
and whatever else he may have done charles has never broke his word in a money matter and harkee can't you thumb over that bible and prayer book on the table here as well as there do so well and he went on in a lower key still looking full front at the church door and a quick glance now and then upon irons across the communion table tis nothing at all don't you see what are you afraid of it can't change events tis only a question of to-day or to-morrow a whim a maggot hey you can manage it this way marquis he had his pocket handkerchief by the two corners before him like an apron and he folded it neatly and quickly into four don't you see and a little water you're a neat hand you know and if you're interrupted tis only to blow your nose in it ha 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 and clap it in your pocket and you may as well have the money hey good morning and when he had got halfway down the aisle he called back to irons in a loud frank voice and martin's not here could you say where he is but he did not await the answer and glided with quick steps from the porch with a side leer over the wavy green mounds and tombstones he had not been three minutes in the church and across the street he went to the shop over the way and asked briskly where martin the sexton was well they did not know oh martin he cried across the street seeing that functionary just about to turn the corner by stirk's hall doorsteps a word with you i've been looking for you see you must take a foot rule and make all the measurements of that pew you know don't mistake a hair's breadth do you mind for you must be ready to swear to it and bring a note of it to me at home to-day at one o'clock and you shall have a crown piece from which the reader will perceive as all the world might if they had happened to see him enter the church just now that his object in the visit was to see and speak with martin and that the little bit of banter with irons the clerk was all by-play and parenthesis and beside the main business and of course of no sort of consequence mr irons like most men of his rank in life was not much in the habit of exact thinking his ruminations therefore were rather confused but perhaps they might be translated in substance into something like this why the blank can't you let them alone that's willing to let him alone i wish he was in his own fiery home and better people at rest i can't mark them places i don't know whether i'm on my head or heels and he smacked the quarto prayer-book down upon the folio bible with a sonorous bang and glided out furious frightened and taciturn to the salmon house he came upon dangerfield again only half a dozen steps from the turn into the street he had just dismissed martin and was looking into a note in his pocket-book and either did not see or pretended not to see the clerk but some one else saw and recognized mr irons and as he passed directed upon him a quick searching glance it was mr mervyn who happened to pass that way 
irons in dangerfield and the churchyard there was a flash of association in the group and the background which accorded with an old suspicion dangerfield indeed was innocently reading a leaf in his red and gilt leather pocket-book as i have said but iron's eyes met the glance of mervyn and contracted oddly and altogether there gleamed out something indefinable in his look it was only for a second a glance and an intuition and from that moment it was one of mervyn's immovable convictions that mr dangerfield knew something of iron's secret it was a sort of intermittent suspicion before now it was a monstrous but fixed belief so mr irons glided swiftly on to the salmon house where in a dark corner he drank something comfortable and stalked back again to the holy pile with his head aching and the world round him like a wild and evil dream end of chapter sixty three recording by john brandon